Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we dive into the world of microbiology and we look at an overlooked part of the field. Now when you think of microbiology, your mind immediately turns to antibacterial and virus and how we developing new medicines and treatments. But a long overlooked killer is actually fungal infection. And this week we're going to look at some ways scientists are trying to shed light on this dangerous type of disease. Now in the field of microbiology, a lot of attention and a lot of research goes into studying things like viruses and bacteria. And yes, in the study of microbiology, those are part of what is actually considered. Realistically, the study of microbiology is really the study of all microorganisms. If they're unicellular, multicellular, even acellular, not even having any cells at all. But that means it includes not just viruses and microbes, but also parasites, eukaryotes, and even fungi. And this oft overlooked area of microbiology is where we're going to be focusing this week. We're going to look at the study of mycology and, or more specifically, fungi and fungal infections and how they're slightly different to bacteria, what they can harm and what they can even help, and how the arms race continues between bacteria and fungi across the world, even in our soils. So this week, we're going to be digging deep into the study of fungi and the field of mycology and be looking at how we can help save lives and learn more about this very populous part of microbiology. Now, of all the myriad different fungi species, around 300 of them are known to be pathogenic to humans. And that means that they can harm humans. They could also harm animals and other creatures. Now, out of these, there's a couple of different broad types. But most cases of the time when a fungal infection will lead to damage in humans, more stems for people with suppressed or very weak immune systems. Now this might include people with leukemia, people undergoing chemotherapy, or people with HIV AIDS infections. These people already have weakened immune systems, and in such cases, fungal infection can be pretty devastating. In other cases, if you have a healthy immune system, most of the time, fungal infections don't do much to you, though there are a few exceptions to that case. Then a lot of the common types of fungal infections actually leads to things like lung infections. In fact, one of the most commonly known types of fungal infections is black mold, which is technically called Stachybotrys charitorum. And basically, black mold, which frequently occurs in regions of houses that have a lot of permanent damp in them, um, that can lead to respiratory damage, lung infections, and severe headaches. But that's just one type of fungal pathogen. There's others, including pneumocytosis, which can basically cause pneumonia in people with weak immune systems, like children, the elderly, or even AIDS patients. There's hyptoplasma. Now, hyptoplasma is particularly common in places with contaminated air, and it's prevalent in the Americas, India, and Southeast Asia, and it can spread through humans and dogs and cats. There's also a couple of big ones, and these are candida, which can cause severe infections in people with deficient immune systems. Uh, There's also Aspergillus, 
Now, aspergillus can contaminate food and crops and spread into people that way. And the symptoms of aspergillus is actually fever, cough, chest pain, and breathlessness. Normally, this really only impacts people with immune the systems that are already weakened or with other lung conditions, but it can pass through and spread through foods such as maize and grain crops. There's also cryptococcus, and this is pretty bad because this can cause a severe form of meningitis in patients and also can attack and really damage the lungs. Now, interestingly on this case, there's actually one form of this that can spread and be found not in people with weakened immune systems, uh, just in general. And that, that version actually called Cryptococcus gatti lives in the tropical parts of the continent of Africa or far northern Australia. And that's a pretty strange but devastating version of a fungal infection. Now, all of these fungal infections can cause damage and harm to people, but treating them is quite tricky. First of all, because a lot of the times these are hurting people who already have weakened immune systems that aren't ready or able to fight back against an invading pathogen. So what can we do to help? Well, researchers from a couple of different universities have been honing in on ways we can improve our treatments for fungal pathogens and ways we can help quality of life, particularly of these patients who are already struggling with chronic conditions. First, we're going to turn to Louisiana State University, where under the guidance of Assistant Professor To Vang, researchers in the Department of Chemistry have been looking at a way to help treat patients with life-threatening fungal infections. Now, across the world annually, this impacts more than 2 million people worldwide each year, and there aren't very many effective antifungal medications. And that's really bad, particularly if you are a leukemia patient. Now, including the more than 200,000 people annually impacted, including a quarter of all leukemia patients in the United States. If you get a fungal infection whilst having leukemia, the results aren't normally good. People who contract both at the same time normally end up with fatal consequences and outcomes, which is not great in more than half of those cases. So that is not good news at all. And trying to study and develop treatments that can help people with fungal infections is incredibly difficult. And the main challenge for a lot of this work is that no one really understood how the fungal cell wall works, which is difficult and frustrating because most times we're trying to develop antifungal medications. Breaking through the cell wall and figuring out how it works and getting your treatment into the cell itself in order to counteract it is an essential part of medicine design. And hopefully now with this research that was just recently published in the journal Nature Communications, we can get a better idea and help save millions of lives in the process. Now, Professor Tu Wang led a team of researchers, including postdoctoral fellow Zhu Kang, graduate students Alex Kiryu and Malitha Dikvela-Videtnage, as well as undergraduate researcher Adrian Chen. And they were looking into exactly how the cell wall of certain types of fungi work. And they honed in on the Asparagillus fumigatus. Now, this is a particularly interesting type of fungus because it has a semi-waterproof core comprised of two different types of stiff and rigid sugar molecules. 
And in between these are some highly crisscrossed branch sugars coated in a layer of other sugar protein mixture that basically consistently moves and undulates. And that makes it pretty tricky. The scientists actually then refined in and targeted this shifting structure and analyzed the fungi using a method called dynamic nuclear polarization, solid state nuclear magnet resonance spectroscopy. In other words, they injected in some nuclear dyes and then put it in a highly magnetic reactive spectrometer. And from that, they could actually get some really interesting insight into how this undulating complex structure on the outside of the cell of this fungi, covered in sugars interwoven together, ended up working. And what's interesting is this particularly unique method involving nuclear magnetic resonance was particularly fascinating because it managed to give them a clear insight into how these cells work without having to break them apart. Now, this is a great insight into how the outside of these cells work and gives us a way to try and break through the barrier. So Tuwang, Professor Tuwang and their team is looking to test the efficiency of different types of antifungal drugs, now knowing how this structure works. Because if this structure is common, and these complicated carbohydrates around the outside can be understood better using new imaging techniques, then we should be able to design molecular treatments that come in there and attack them and make their way through this complicated undulating cell wall. So there's some good work being done out of the University of Louisiana. We're going to turn our attention away from studying the outside and the structure of how these fungal infections work to looking at the strategy that these fungal infections use to attack, destroy and harm host cells inside the body. And this research was done by Monash University's Biomedicine Discovery Institute, the BDI, and led by Associate Professor Anna Traven from Monash University's Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. Now this study was recently published in the high impact journal Cell Metabolism. And it was focused on looking at the Candida albicans type of fungus that we talked about earlier. Now, fungal infections, as we said before, infect a large number of people annually and have a pretty high mortality rate, up to around 40%, depending on the type. And Candida albicans is one of the most handful of fungal species that collectively kill almost 1.5 million people a year. So the body count is incredibly high and it's incredibly dangerous. So how do these fungal infections work? And that was really the idea that Professor Anna Traven was trying to get into. And one of the reasons why the particular fungal infections are so devastating is that in the case of Candida albicans, it actually goes after the immune cells that are ordinarily meant to hunt it down and kill it. And how does this fungal infection actually go after and attack the immune cells in your body? Well, it does it by stealing its source of nutrients. It basically goes and finds the food that your immune system will be using normally to power itself and steals it. And that food is the sugar glucose that's really, really important for macrophages. It's a type of immune cell. And if there's not enough sugar glucose around, the immune cell isn't really able to mount an effective attack on any disease-causing microbe. And when your immune cells are trying to fight an infection, the macrophages undergo a metabolic shift, which means that they need even more food. They need to consume lots and lots and lots of glucose and become pretty much dependent on it. 
They're burning so much energy trying to fight the infection that's inside your body, they need constant fuel to power that war machine. But the fungus infection, particularly Candida albicans, actually goes after that rapidly dwindling supply of glucose, fighting the macrophages not directly but indirectly by stealing its food source. With less of this sugar glucose around, the macrophage in your immune system has no chance to fight back because they start to die off themselves. This study was undertaken in an animal model, so it will be interesting to see how it replicates across to human infections, which is often also more difficult to test and to study. But it's important to help us understand what is going on when our body is struggling to respond to a fungal infection. So maybe there's things we can do to help boost our metabolism and provide extra nutrients to a macrophage to help support its response and fight against this fungal infection. And this is pretty important because as we spoke about before and as Associate Professor Travin says, though we tend to underestimate their burden, estimates from the death from fungal infections are comparable globally to the deaths from tuberculosis and malaria, which are recognized as global challenges, even though fungal infections kills just as many. So that's a good reason why we should be looking into this and hopefully research like this will pave the way for better treatments and supportive medicine to help people with fungal infections. a farmer or someone just growing vegetables in their garden, you understand that keeping a healthy soil is essential for growing good crops. And that is a very, very big challenge because lurking inside your soil is a complicated balance, an ecosystem really, with nutrients, with different creatures living inside them. And some of those are in a constant state of war. And that's particularly the case for bacteria and fungi. And these microbes are engaged in a fully-fledged arms race against each other and also against whatever the farmer is doing to try and treat and tackle these microbes living in their soil. So when the farmer uses chemicals to attack the microbes living in the soils, that's one thing. But these microbes, the fungi and the bacteria, they'll use chemicals themselves to try and fight against each other. And that's what University of Wisconsin professor Nancy Keller had been looking into. In particular, they'd been tracking over a number of studies over a number of years this arms race between two species, one bacteria, the Ralstonia solanocerium, and the fungal pathogen Fusarium fujicori. And these two cause a lot of problems for plants that grow around them, but they're also trying to really take out one another as well. Now, this bacteria, the Ralstonia, causes a wilt in plant species. It can cause a number of other damage to the plants themselves. So, in this arms race between these two species, the bacteria tries to infect the fungal pathogen, and the fungus retaliates with a host of antibacterial compounds to try and keep the bacteria at bay. And this work was published in the journal MBio, including collaborations with researchers from Cornell University, the University of Illinois at Chicago, and Westfalsius Wilhelms Universität in Germany. Now, Restonia is a, is a lethal wilt pathogen, and it can attack over 200 different types of plants. 
And the fusarium is also a major cause of fungal wilt as well. And the problem is that both microbes can colonize the same host, let's say a tomato plant. And when Keller first started studying how bacteria and fungi interact with each other, it was just by accident. She had some spores from fungus in her lab, and they drifted onto a petri dish that was growing bacteria. In the neighbouring lab of a fellow researcher, professor in plant pathology, Caitlin Allen. And then they noticed that, well, the microbes seemed to be competing and interacting with each other. And what they then found is actually, yeah, Ralstonia actually did try to induce the nearby fungus to produce distinctive hardy structures called chlamydospores. And that chlamydospore is actually a pretty clever thing. It helps the fungus survive stress. So why would the bacteria try to help the fungus out and grow these spores? Well, it was a tricky tactic on the path of the bacteria. It made the fungus produce these spores so that then the bacteria could invade those spores and use them as shelter, in particular to survive a harsh winter. And that study was published in 2016. But it's also curious that these spores then turned a unique shade of rusty red. And that's because a red compound named bicoverin was actually produced. And bicoverin is a chemical that helps the fungus resist infection by bacteria. Whilst Keller's team had already shown that Rustonia manages to secrete a compound that causes the fungus fusarium to produce these spores, the spores, the, the fusarium, fights back by producing a whole suite of antimicrobial agents, including the red-tinted bicoverin, to protect these spores from the invaders. So when the scientist removes the fungus stability to produce this antimicrobial resistance, this bicoverin, the bacteria was able to successfully invade and colonize the fungus's spores. Now, Fusicarium isn't the only species that can make bicoverin. And it's interesting because another plant-damaging pathogen known as Botrytidis cinerea stole or copied the idea of the bicoverin-producing machinery from Fusarium through a genetic transfer, ancient, ancient times, many millions of years ago. Now, when exposed to the same microbacterial compound that makes the fusarium produce the spores, Botrytis also detected the structure and then also started to produce the antimicrobial impact. So this is an arms race that's been going on between two species of bacteria and fungus for thousands and thousands of years. And they're interacting and talking to each other and fighting back in this whole war with chemical signals for millennia. So long, in fact, that other species have learnt from Fusarium and copied this technique to help fight back. They've spread the technology in this arms race, so to speak. And this is some fascinating research out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, by Professor Keller to help us understand what's going on around us and lurking in our soils. As the arms race between pharma and microbiome continues, there's also an arms race going on inside microbiology itself between fungi and bacteria. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From learning how the cell structure of fungal infection works to learning more about its hunting strategies and even the arms race that they're involved in. We learnt a lot this week about fungal infections. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.